Spotify, The Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. Today, it's just me, Layla, here to present you with a very special Best of Special, a collection of our finest goofs that I am contractually obligated to ask you to share with your friends so that we may one day become absolute clout monsters. Aaron and I will be back next week with another less-than-regular episode, and we hope to see you then. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two Twitter friends recommend media in the hopes the other will like it. This week, we watched the storybook anime Princess Tutu. I'm Aaron. And I'm Layla. Uh, Layla. Uh, <laughs> this one, this one was a lot. Uh, let me give a quick summary. Uh, it's... Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so there's this duck who becomes uh, a real girl at a ballet school, and she falls in love with a prince... And she gets this pendant that gives her the ability to transform into Princess Tutu, who is a like a magical girl persona who's like really good at ballet dancing and also can do magic spells. Um, but the problem is that the prince has lost his heart because he has um, he had to shatter it in order to fight with the raven. Also, the prince is part of a story where he is involved with like a, a crow, but he was taken out of the story and put into this town. Um, and also, there's another there's a knight from a different story or maybe the same story that's like his weird uh, controlling boyfriend slash roommate and um there's also the crow's avatar slash daughter princess cray who's like the opposite of um princess tutu and they fight over the princess heart uh and at the end of the story it's like revealed that this was all being created by Drosselmeyer, who had the power to write stories into reality. And in fact, this town that they've all lived in is a splinter reality uh, from which all stories uh, converge. And Drosselmeyer has been secretly from the grave because he built a literal fucking machine to write from the grave this story with his superpower. Um, and they, they figure out how to fix all that. And, you know, it, it has a happy ending. Uh, does that about summarize it? Yeah. As much as it can. <laughs> Why did you do this to me, Layla? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a couple reasons. It is my mission in life to get as many people to watch Princess Tutu as I humanly can. I've gotten about six, which I'm doing pretty good. Um, but I... I mean, okay. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So genuinely speaking like it's such it's a litmus test for like me to see how how wild of a narrative my friends are like willing to accept but also like you and i talk all the time about um these like overarching themes of like children in adult danger and anime and like how wild it is and this was just such a perfect amalgamation of things i had you lulled into a false sense of security this many weeks since so i'm like fuck it we're gonna just drop princess tutu and see what happens i see you tricked me mm-hmm. I did. i'm so sorry i can't believe i'm you, not but... sorry no you're not even remotely sorry <laughs> no this is such joy for me love so to drink good. my pain um <laughs> here's the thing about princess tutu is like i don't know that it was Right, the weirdness did, like, after about episode six, like, I got into it. Like, I was like, okay, so there's animals and they can talk and the cat teacher who wants to marry everyone. Like, I was like, okay, I was into that. I feel like that this show has the same, it has a, a startlingly similar structure to uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is, like, you get introduced to the world, 
there's a protagonist that has a lot of self-doubt um and they have to there's there's a series of arcs where they have like a monster of the week sort of situation where like in in ava like there's different um angels or whatever they call them that they have to fight like every week for for like i don't know seven episodes and then like in this one there's like different heart shards that have been possessing people that like for about you know seven episodes princess tutu has to go through and like find the princess heart shards and then at the end there's like a big world consuming cataclysm uh and in i mean in ava it's uh the lilith and in in princess tutu it's the crow who dipped his who makes his blood rain down on the town and turned them all into crow humanoids jeremy um besides being like a huge dork nerd i think he's also the most annoying character like even like arguably worse than sissy who is like the antagonist of the show i think that jeremy is like he's like if jeremy goes on youtube enough he will turn into an incel is what i'm saying like he is like so obsessed with making Ailita a real person that like it's his it's like one of his two personality traits and i don't i don't like jeremy very much no, Jeremy's pretty fucking boring. I think me and you both agreed that he has no rights. <laughs> no, um... There's nothing about him that's interesting or funny or quirky, and he never goes into Lyoko, so there's not even anything in there for us to kind of extrapolate on. Like, he genuinely just loves Aelita so much, and not in, like, a... I don't know. It feels like if Aelita actually gets... Well, she, I think she does get to eventually leave, because I think the show did finish. I think she does get to eventually leave Lyoka. When she does, I'm like, what is interesting and compelling about you? Even in, like, an episode, Aelita, he was, like, being self-deprecating and, you know, like, a whiny teenage boy about it. And Aelita's like, Jeremy, do you think we're going to get along when I leave Lyoko? Because if you're going to call yourself useless, I don't want a friend that's useless. I'm, like, cold-fucking-blooded Aelita. I fucking she love you. Oh, and Aelita is... <laughs> Aelita kicks ass. Let's just skip Jeremy. He's boring. We'll talk about him later. Um, Give Aelita a gun! Aelita? So Aelita's not a real person. Um, she is, she's a person, well, but she, she is. She's a person, <laughs> but she's not a physical person, right? She's a, She's meatless. She, yeah, she's she has vegetarian. no body. <laughs> and I think that she is, she's such an interesting character because she lives in this virtual hellscape and her only point of contact is like this nerd ass kid who shows up every once in a while to try to make her real and she just has to talk to him. But like also she, she delivers some of the coldest one liners and <laughs> she's like, Jeremy, you have to not be a fucking little baby about this. Like, come on, people are dying. Aelita um, volunteers to die like four times. Basically, like every other episode, she's like, listen, I'm not like, a, you have human friends. There's going to be a lot of mass suffering unless I die. It's fine. And Jeremy's like, no, I just want the nuclear bomb to go off in the middle of France to save my virtual girlfriend. It's like, hey, Jeremy, dog. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's his priorities are very interesting. And in I mean, he is like a 14-year-old boy, so I... I I mean, that's in character, but, like... I don't know, man. Nukes are kind of a different ballgame. It's true. It was it's the literal true. nuke ones. Um, so. But I think you brought up a pretty good point. Um, on Twitter, you posted that meme where it's, like, a huge book, which says Code Lyoko, and then you post a very much smaller book that said Code Lyoko if Aelita had a gun, which is an extremely good, extremely good and salient point. Um, Aelita doesn't- Give her a gun! Aelita doesn't have weapons. She could do telekinesis, and she can type in the Code Lyoko to Xana's towers, but- she can't defend herself. Like, all of Jeremy's friends have to constantly, like, take bullets for her 
in the virtual world. And and you brought up a very good point, Layla. I don't understand. So, okay, two, two, a couple of things. Um, all the costumes for the virtual kids are extremely good. They fuck so hard. They're really great. I love all of them. I love that Ulrich is like this weird samurai with two swords. It's, it's great. But it's he's all... German, right? <laughs> he's incredibly German. He's just a weeb. <laughs> it gives me that he's either a weeb or it gives me the impression that he just wanted to match with Yumi. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> Yumi, one... who is Yumi, is actually Japanese, and her whole thing is like she's like a cool fighter geisha. Um, with like the like a laser fan and everything, and that's rad. Yeah. Oh, really? In general, rad as hell. But uh, so you know, we don't really get a lot of backstory for what happened in these first thirteen episodes. But my impression is, so either they had to stand over Jeremy's shoulder as he modeled them into Liam, <laughs> or or Odd is genetically a cat boy. There's no other explanation. I don't know what's worse that like they're like okay I can figure out how to put you in this video game and it's like it just spit out Catboy or or there's like a fucking hour long scene of Jeremy like in Blender and Odd's like no no I need I need the stripes if I don't have the fucking stripes I'm not a real Catboy I'm gonna get laughed out of the goddamn Catboy fan club Jeremy come on give me that tail let's go and and put my dog on my shirt I know it's ironic but put my dog on my shirt very important to me put my dog on my shirt it's a brand it's a statement <laughs> I love Kiwi so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's one of those two things, but, you know, it's probably the first one, and if it is the first one, hey, Jeremy, model your girlfriend a fucking gun, dude. And if you're not that good at modeling, model her a sword. I Just anything. Please let her protect herself. A shield. Please. Anything. A stick. I would take anything. Just so Ailita can swat some fucking robots. Crabs with boxes on their heads or whatever the fuck these goddamn Xana monsters are. Like, anything at all, please. The monster design is fucking so bad. I hate all the virtual monsters. One of them's they're literally- incredible. I, one of them's a ball. One of them's a fucking orb. They call it a mega tank, and it's just an orb that rolls out, and then it gets wide, and it shoots big, long lasers. <laughs> Some of them are just crabs that are half square, like cube heads. And then there's one that's just like hornets. We just, I gave up. It's hornets. They're just big, <laughs> it's, fuck it's it, whatever. Hornets. <laughs> and the monster design makes me so mad because everything else they put so much thought into and then they're like, ah, fuck it. I don't care. Maybe they just had a crab rig lying around. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly. Like, put a box on it. That's how they kept assets down. They're just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> this came with the program we're using. <laughs> Let's just throw honestly, it in there. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if a modeler had, like, worked so hard on the fucking legs and just ran out of time for the top part, and it was just the default blender box, and it was like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, let's go! We're fine, we're fine. Slap a Xana eye on there. That's a monster. Put it in production. <laughs> <laughs> let's start, let's start with, who is your favorite Teen Titan of the five? Oh, that's so hard. It's it's Raven, though, right? It, it was. It was Raven. I, okay. I think I... It's like Raven and Starfire, and then I should have appreciated Beast Boy more when I had him. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that's... You have a thing for dumb boys, and that's fine. I do. <laughs> um, so let's Let's start... I, I want to save Raven for last, because she is my favorite. Um, let's start with the, the team leader, Robin. Um, obviously... He's Robin of Batman protege fame. Um, he was my favorite going up because I was like, yeah, he's the team leader and I want to be just like him and be cool. And uh, sh we stand a short king. Uh, we and... do stand a short king. We do stand a short king. 
And like like you were saying, like I do appreciate the vibe that Robin gives off, especially with like Starfire. Even in the the one episodes where like he when he's not fighting with Cyborg, um, like that's a weird dynamic. But like he does like project the vibe of like, hey, I'm the team leader. I want us to get things done, but I do also care about all of you, and like that's my whole thing. Even though I did get a lot of weird, bad, obsessive traits from my surrogate dad, um, I li- I like Robin. I think he's like you know. If you're gonna give, if you're gonna have a team leader, you can't make them too overpowered. And Robin is like probably the weakest out of all of them, which is it's it's an interesting dynamic, and I appreciate that. He's got that. a fun belt and a good stick. <laughs> That's all he does, really, um, except for the one time where he's like, "I can't trust my team members, so I have to turn <laughs> into a." Uh... <laughs> Let me go undercover and explicitly invite them to kick my ass. <laughs> hey, this will throw them off if they beat the shit out of me as Red X. Um, <laughs> what is that? But even the red X, (laughs) what it didn't work. Oh god! And then like he he didn't even do he wasn't even a good bad guy because like Beast Boy gets like thrown into the the path of a train and then he immediately goes to save him because he's the natural team leader and Beast Boy's like, hey, did you just save me? And then Robin's just like, oh shit, and just kicks him in the chest. He's like, bye. Oh god, Robin is okay. Robin is like. Um, the first level evolution of, like, an edgy thief Pokemon. Yes. Uh, the second level of which is Kaz Brecker from Six of Crows. I and literally I- thought about Kaz as soon as I saw Robin. I'm like, oh god, he's giving me such Kaz vibes. I was like, this is my, that was, like, my first note. And, um, I don't know what the third one is. <laughs> if you can make a pull for an annoying edgelord, please. Oh, man, you know what, though? Like, I love an annoying edgelord up until they become, like, men annoying edgelords. If they're oh, it's boys, Sasuke. It's, it's Sasuke. I forgot. <laughs> we, canonic- we canonically made it Sasuke in our Six of Crows episode. <laughs> Damn it. Ugh. Sasuke, you got us again. A lot of mutes get got. Like, Camille gets got. A lot of named mutes who had, mm-hmm. like, plot points in this season. Camille gets got, um... And uh, a few others, but the one that really made me upset was Brad of Ratland. Um, at one point, Amy tries to make him a little, little Ratland called Bradland, and then she just goes, but it turned out like Sadland, and I <laughs> got so sad for her. And then she just carries Brad around the rest of the season, and she comes to prom, and she's like, I'm not here to reconcile. I want them to see what they did to Brad literally tearing up talking about it right now it was so sad and she like keeps carrying brad around until the humans all save the mutes from the the cure fireworks um and only then does she come around to like reconciling uh with with people but like holy shit this show is for seven-year-olds and i think that's an important point because like even after the time skip even after the whole conflict is over the people who are cured don't get uncured they're gone like this show doesn't pull any punches. Like, it doesn't bring people back from the dead or, you know, restore them to their former selves. They're just fucking gone. And, like, I think that's an incredibly smart choice just to be like, yeah, I mean, there are stakes in this program and, like, the actions have consequences. And, like, this is, you know, a lot of, like, programming that at least I would have watched when I was younger would have had, you know, the you know, the vaccine or whatever be able to turn them back into their regular selves or something. Well, but, like, how many times does Goku come back from the dead? Yeah, I mean, like anime, right? Like, Goku (laughs) literally, in the first three episodes of Dragon Ball Z, dies and goes to heaven. Like, (laughs) And then it's like, hey, don't revive me for a year. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, resurrection is is such a common trope in in 
all sorts of media, there's prominent religions based around resurrection. Like, but the fact that like this show was willing to be like, no, we're not bringing people back. I think is, is it's heartbreaking. Cause I really wish Brad and Yumyun had, had been able to be part of the great new, you know, mutant Hamufa yeah, joint. But like, you know, there, this is, this was a war and wars, you know, have cost. And I think it was, it was just brilliant. Um, sad. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like genuinely still very upset about Yumyun. Um, like God, the fact that like these, I don't know why this of all programs hit me so hard. Like I was, we, I mean, we just talked about the burning God and I was like very upset about the burning God, but like, I don't know, maybe it was just because I could tell that Rin's story was one about like, you know, sadness and nobody was going to have a happy ending. The fact that like this is a young, like a colorful, bright, fun show that's really funny and smart for kids has these like very tragic losses. Like maybe that's that's what I wasn't expecting. But like, uh, I don't I don't know. But like this, I think Kipo Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts is my favorite media I've consumed this year across the board. Um, and probably is probably top five of of media I've ever consumed. If you, if you take the whole series, all three seasons, probably one of my favorite media products ever. And it's, it's just a lot to handle from a show that's, that came out in one year and is aimed at 10 year olds. Like, Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is quite a bit to handle. I don't know what it is about media aimed at children. I think maybe because it's less contrived than stuff that's aimed for adults. Like again, the, we always come back to the burning God because I mean, like it it is a story that sticks to your bones a bit. Right. But the thing about it, that is, there's a lot of mechanics to it. You know what I mean? Like there's mechanics of war, there's strategy, there's a lot of like lore and things you have to really dig into, which isn't a bad thing. It's just kind of a, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, like it's the trappings of the fantasy genre, right? Especially epic fantasy where you're getting, you know, all the troop movements and, you know, the stratagems and the the logistics and then all the weird details uh, about, you know, how you're going to make your cool combat plan work and the the lore about your magic system. Like, that's all part of the the genre and it's expected and it's good and, and it I would not have that genre any other way. But also, I think, I, I don't know if this is where you're going with, with this, but I feel like Kipo is able to get away from all those extra trappings and really, like, nail down the story. Yeah, I think that's that's true of, like, a lot of media aimed at children. Uh, I'm willing to go pretty broad with that statement, just because, like, Shira kind of did the same thing, too, right? Like, it's also, like, a pretty epic high fantasy um, uh, show, but, again, aimed at children. And there's a lot of lore, there's a lot of stuff happening, but, I mean, it's not like we're talking troop movements, you know what I mean? So there's not a lot of things to get lost in, and you can just kind of spend time with the characters and... It goes all the way back to, I don't know if you remember, but when we read Prince and the Dressmaker, there's that note in the back where she said that, like, teens just feel things at a heightened level. And I think, like, really, really good writers and really good showrunners like Rad Seacrest and, like, um, Noelle Stevenson, they can just take that and bottle it and throw it at you. And you can just kind of relive uh, being a teen where everything feels super, super, super intense all the time, so... And also, children's media isn't, like, cynical, usually. And cynicism tends to, like, I don't know, dampen emotion sometimes. It definitely I could, it definitely dampens my enjoyment of things, I guess. Um, you know, I I hate, 
you know, I hate people who are like, oh, I'm cynical because I'm edgy. But like, you know, I, I, I mean, listen, if you've been living in the past 10 years, like you probably have gotten considerably more cynical about everything. And it is just kind of nice to engage with the work of media that is um, like idealistic and hopeful, even though there are, you know, bad things that happen in it. Oh, God. This is our final one. Here we go. <laughs> uh, my favorite son of an anime, um, Mr. Yugi Moto, uh, also the pharaoh that lives inside him. I guess they kind of have, they, they have a pretty similar hairstyle. Um, so Yugi, standard Yugi, just has, um, I guess, like a maple leaf uh, up there, except with, it's, it's black, and then it's got like, like a purple outline. And then also he has like, these like jagged bangs that hang down that look like they're made of like gold or bronze. Um, and then when he uh, <laughs> transforms into to the Pharaoh, uh, those jagged bronze parts shoot up uh, into little <laughs> trident spears. Um, I have no idea how you would do this. <laughs> so I'm going to break some hearts. Oh, this no. is clearly a synthetic wig. You do not get shine <laughs> like that on real hair. <laughs> It is synthetic. You can tell if you touch that thing with any hot tool, it's going to start sizzling and smoking. This is so tragic. That's so traumatic. (laughs) They, like, that hair's plastic. It's Barbie hair. Wow. So Yugi's probably bald or (laughs) like a pixie. So my running theory for this Wait, series. Wait, does that mean that the pharaoh was also bald? Yes. <laughs> so they listened to history because here's the thing: the ancient Egyptians. This is real hairstylist knowledge here. They had such bad lice due to living amongst all these animals that they all shaved their head and only wore wigs. So they were all bald. They shaved their entire bodies, literally head to toe, and only wore wigs. All those, like, beautiful, like, big, structured hair that we see. Yeah, that's all wigs. Wait, so since Yugi and Yami are, like, intrinsically linked, does that mean Yugi's hair fell out because baldness was in the heart of the cards? (laughs) Yami gave him <laughs> male pattern baldness. Oh, this poor boy and his chokers. That's so tragic. <laughs> Fuck. I just, I want to see that scene in Yu-Gi-Oh! where, like, Joey walks in. He's like, hey, Yugi, I want to talk to you about... And then Yugi's, like, taking off his huge hairpiece. He's like, uh, it's not what it looks like. Is it supposed I... to be a crown? Is that why it's shaped like... Yes! I am literally, I can't breathe. (laughs) I want to see what the head block that he keeps the wig on at night looks like. Is it Dark Magician? (laughs) It's the Dark Magician, of course it is. Oh, maybe that's why he likes Dark Magician, because they both have the... (laughs) (laughs) Finding kinship in a hair shape. Um, so do you want to just, like, talk about the characters, or should we just get into the fact that 
about about their ages real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, the funny thing about this book is that the anime rule of plus five applies. Oh yeah, I was thinking about that the whole time. <laughs> because um, Kaz's nickname is <laughs> Dirty Hands. And he is literally a gang leader, and Lee Bardugo does so much legwork to be like, this bo- man, boy, boy, man is a menace. Everyone is terrified of him. Everyone knows his name. He is Cass Dirty Hands Brecker, and he's got fuck your shit up. He runs like a angsty version of the mystery gang. <laughs> And he's a baby. He's 17, canonically. And everything he does contradicts... Here, this is the thing, right? So this is part of a duology, and I'll give I'll give Miss Bardugo this. Mm-hmm. We talked, I think, a little bit last... One of the last episodes, Time Isn't Real. Um, we talked about um, the author being dead and how, like, sometimes characters kind of get away from you. That happens in Six of Crows, I feel like. Like, characters got away from Lee Bardugo, and then she comes back in Crooked Kingdom, and it fucks so hard for no reason. Like, she fully leans in in Crooked Kingdom, and are like, no, this is a baby. And I was <laughs> like, this is, this is, thank you for recognizing that you wrote me a child that I'm supposed to be afraid of, but I'm only afraid of him in that way of, like, that, like, John Mulaney joke way where you see a, a gang of teens across the way and you're an adult and you know they're going to point out your insecurities. Like, that, that man's got feminine hips. That's what I think about every time. <laughs> like, they're just going to make fun of me to death. Um, the thing that really got me was that um, it's his, canonically, he drinks brandy. Uh, and I was like, all right, I'm done here. Like, I'm he's a Jack the Ripper wannabe who <laughs> needs to be aged up a minimum of 10 years. <laughs> I forgot that he drinks brandy, but that is hilarious because I am a 26-year-old woman who, like, tries to be cool. And I try to get into brandy for, like, a hot minute, and even I can't. I can't and I'm 26. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, I typically, if I have to drink wine, I will cut it with soda. So, like, <laughs> I am the complete opposite end of this, apparently. That is the most... That's the most aggressively Midwestern sentence I've ever heard. Listen, we <laughs> so we do it we do it right down here. I didn't say pop, thankfully, uh, because I'm not from that part of the Midwest. Uh, oh, don't come for pop. I say pop. Ah, uh, see, you're one of the bad ones. Um, I'm not. Oh shit, <laughs> got, got real contentious. No, I got real Midwestern now. <laughs> hey, I'm a Rust Belt baby. It happens. Um. But yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I, all right, let's just talk about the characters because I think the characters all are, are pretty good. Uh, well, not all. I think they all work as, for what they're trying to be, for what, um, Lee Bardugo wrote them as. Like, Kaz, I mean, for, for his faults, his fault being that he, he is far too young for what he's trying to pull off. He, he, he works effectively as like the, you know, the criminal mastermind, the, the Sherlock Holmes, like, always one step ahead of everyone, like, pulling off the heists. I, I you know, I, it, it makes me very frustrated when I have to deal with, like, his, his borderline edginess. Like, I, I think it's, he's kind of annoying. <laughs> but... It's very, it's very hot topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, 
like he he is he is dangerously close to Sasuke territory. And, oh, no. like, if you enter the Sasuke zone, there's, like, no going back, so you have to be very, very careful. But I don't think he goes into there, because we do actually get, like, stuff inside his head. It's not all just, like, oh, I have to avenge my brother. It, it's more like, um, oh, I'm feeling complicated feelings about other members of my party. Also, this book is incredibly horny. <laughs> like, uh, wow. Oh, Crooked Kingdom gets a little bit hornier. Um, <sighs> oh, boy. It's not, not, not in, like, a... We've talked about this before, not in like a like a weird teen it, in a weird teen way for us, but not in a weird teen way for teens. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I the one thing I want to add to the Casbrecker, the very accurate description of Casbrecker, my son that you gave, <laughs> is do you know who he reminds me of? Oh no. Is Artemis Fowl. Oh my God! Holy shit! You're so right. He is extremely Artemis Fowl, <laughs> but just like spent a little bit too long <laughs> in the mall. Hey, Nari, why are you so horny? Uh, I mean, that is her main character flaw, is, uh, aggro and horny. Uh, yeah, I, hey, I, I, I resent that. Aggro is not a fucking flaw. I love an aggro, just an angry, small woman. <laughs> but, Jesus, H. Christ, I, literally, she is so horny and is the funniest thing I've ever read in my entire life. Because she's horny in the first book, when she makes out with Dara in a cave one time, and then she is horny when she's traveling with Ali and she's just like hmm, hmm this half naked hot prince that's swimming in a creek that's possessed by magic he won't explain to me and I'm just gonna stare at his ass through like white wet cloth and yeah there's she- like a whole sequence <laughs> where they're like they're trying to escape to um Tal Nitri which is like a, the water kingdom because he's also like half water prince or whatever um point is he's like swimming they're on this boat and then like he he comes out of the water and she's like oh wow mm, that white linen is not covering him enough um and then like the whole uh like because the seal of solomon had to be like implanted in his heart but like it won't work unless she puts her hand on his chest like there's it's so just like oh no i have to touch your rippling pecs in order for the magic to work how embarrassing anyway when you were all wounded and shit uh i had to change you and dress you and you were uh well formed and i mean that in the friendliest non-romanticest way possible but yeah, you were well formed, and <laughs> Ali's just like, I can't believe you said that. I I can't. I'm I've never once thought about a sex in my life, and now I'm <laughs> going to go drown myself if I could, but I can't. Um, I can't the... because I'm a, I'm a water magic, and I I literally can't drown. <laughs> I, exactly. <laughs> but by God, um, if I could will it, I'd do it right now. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, and then she just gets hornier because I feel like the more danger Nari's in, the hornier she gets. Because, mm-hmm. like, they're in mild danger when she is mildly horny for Ali. And then, I shit you not, like, the whole uh, water gym Oh, yeah, the, the minor thing. Marid that possesses him. Yes! There's there's a Tempest Marid that possesses him, and uh, he's just, like, chilling. First of all, motherfucker, hey, Nari, I'm gonna need you to get you to get your fucking head out your badge for, like, one fucking second. <laughs> Because he's, like, imagine this, right? You walk into a fucking beautiful Hawaiian resort hotel room where you're, like, vaguely a prisoner. It's fine. And then you see your wife standing on the balcony, and the entire time she is talking to you, she neither attempts to cover herself from a monsoon and has her eyes closed the whole fucking time. And she's just, like, a little too horny. Would you not be suspicious? 
it's it's a little much and also the thing is that nari should know by now that ali is in no way smooth and just like the way that he when he is possessed by the the marid is is just like hmm nari's like oh wow i'm really i'm really feeling this right now it's almost as if ali's normal personality is gone <laughs> because he's he's actually acting like a sexual agent instead of being a big <laughs> put my wiener in a prison boy <laughs> Tempest Marie did not do any fucking research and it worked anyway because she is so fucking horny. And then it's just like, you know, there's just moments where she's just like, I think you said it to me in DMs once where you were, I was just like, God, I fucking hate Ali. He's so fucking annoying. You were like, you don't hate him. It's just like Nari finds him hot now. And I think you were fucking right because mm -hmm. Nari was annoyed with Ali all the time. And I'm like, you're right because I'll take her side anytime. But like now Nari's like, hmm. Got some some uh, peekaboo linen. Got some got some uh, a little taste of of uh, being held in the rain, you know, pina coladas and shit. And then all of a sudden she's besotted, and I'm like, you know, maybe he's not that bad. <laughs> in the vein of things that are not appropriate for children, we gotta talk about Faust the Eighth. Um, so <laughs> Faust the Eighth is Yo's second opponent in the Shaman tournament. And I was obsessed with this man because I thought his superpower was so cool. He's a necromancer. They call him a boneyard sorcerer. He's a necromancer. Like, let's let's not beat around the bush. He's yeah, he's straight up a necromancer. He is or the queerest coded character I've ever seen. Coded? <laughs> no, because he's explicitly canonically straight because he's in love with his dead girlfriend. <laughs> like, his whole backstory is that, like, oh, his girlfriend, he like, he is literally a descendant of Gautier Faust, which is hysterical. Um, but, like, he, like, he, he, like, just lived in this German village. And, like, he was in love with this woman who, you know, worked at his doctor's office, his dad's doctor's office or whatever. But, like, she was sick, so that's how he got to know her. And then one day, like, they were going to get married. And then I guess she was shot in the head because, like, later when he reveals her skeleton to them that he just has in her in his coat he reveal he just pulls his dead girlfriend's skeleton out um there's like a hole in her head where she was presumably shot and killed i believe that's how she dies in the manga um which is like extremely dark for a kid's show um and then like the thing and then like he, his whole you know character arc is to resurrect his his beloved and be with her forever or whatever and like her physical body is his like spirit weapon which is pretty weird but um the thing i remember most about faust the eighth is that in the manga like in the anime you know he he kidnaps morty and does quote-unquote experiments on him to like make yo mad so he uses up all his ghost magic to um you know fight his bad skeletons in the manga faust like vivisects morty and like it shows like his fucking intestines and shit and it scarred me for like a literal week i still like <laughs> got get queasy thinking about it because it is like they have like fucking like medical tools like opening his stomach and i remember like the detail in the manga and it like freaked me out so much um that like i don't know i I don't know why I'm so... I mean, that's definitely one of the morbid fascinations I have with this character, Faust the Eighth, but, like, his signature move, the Boneyard Crush, I thought was so do dope, because it's just like, I'm gonna throw skeletons at you! Like, that's all it is. <laughs> um, but, like, I don't... This is another example of, like, I don't know why I'm a straight person, because this is the gayest man I've ever seen in my life. And I was obsessed with him when I was ten years old. Listen... <laughs> The man 
we saw in the flashbacks, I am willing to believe was a heterosexual. <laughs> but something happened to Johann Faustier <laughs> between his fiance dying and being a bestitched lipstick lesbian. Oh yeah, his best bite is stitched on. I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's I even made a note in my notes. I want and uh, I don't remember what studio made this show where I want the author somebody hire me hire me to write this spin-off. I want a spin-off where the because this is an, an uncommon plot, right? A necromancer wants his dead lover back. Mm-hmm. I want the plot where the necromancer succeeds and brings his lover back. No repercussions, no like big mortal cost, like legitimately once in a lifetime. You know, maybe horrible things led to it, but succeeds to bring back uh, their their loved one and the, their life just picks up where it left off. I want the plot where that loved one looks at the person who brought them back and is like, you've changed, and deuces. <laughs> and I want the story of them rebuilding their life, which for Johann Foss VIII, I think involves like a goth boyfriend of some sort. I mean, he is the goth like, boyfriend, to be clear. No, he's seen. Let's fucking don't. Okay, no. all right. Can you differentiate <laughs> seed and goth for me, please? Yeah, this is seen. And then uh, uh, let me think of a good example for you. Um, like Raven from that so from from Teen Titans is a goth. Are you going to say from that so Raven, which is <laughs> was going to be the hottest <laughs> take of the year two thousand and twenty? <laughs> Layla's left the screen, everyone. Layla's just gone. <laughs> I was about to say that. I'm so sorry. No, you're right, I though. Just... <laughs> but yeah, anyway, yeah, I think it involves him and just like a a tall MCR type um, that rebuilding their life together because um, that's gay Dracula. Well, I mean, Dracula is gay. That's just Dracula now. <laughs> That that's a creepy motherfucker who was about to murder a child just to piss off another child. Another child, yes. I think that you hit upon a put a point that I want to talk about because like Jurassic World is very much just a series of callbacks. Like Zach's whole character is just like trying to be comparable to Tim in Jurassic Park, right? There's you know two young boys who are really smart at um, you know dinosaurs, but because you know no shade to the character you know, actors, right? They're, they're, I think the acting is largely fine in, in both movies. Um, but like, you know, the, the dialogue is so much worse in, in world. Um, so like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have like the same charm as, as Tim. Right. And also he doesn't have like that same, you know, grumpy Dr. Alan Grant to play off of. Who's like, Oh, my whole thing's like, I don't like kids. And then, you know, that's at the end of his arc. He does like kids, right? It's just like, Oh, my brother's being mean to me and my parents are getting divorced and I like dinosaurs. Like those kids don't have an arc. And it sucks. <laughs> the divorce thing is so... It's like Colin Trevorrow doesn't know how to write motivation. So it's just like... He just throws every, like, sympathy point. Well, what it is, is what you brought up in your notes, which is that Jurassic World is a Hallmark movie. It is a Hallmark movie because, okay, audience, if you don't fucking believe me, I made something very special. I hid it from Aaron on our fucking, I'm excited. On my fucking notes. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to reframe Jurassic World for you as a Christmas movie. Okay, ready? <clears throat> 
She's all business. When you have kids of your own, if, when, he's rough around the edges. Hello, female coworker. Can I interest you in a sexual harassment as my character introduction? But when her nephews get lost in a snowstorm, he's the only one for this job. This December, Candace Cameron Bure and a gener- <laughs> generically attractive man star in Finding Christmas. Now replace snowstorm with dinosaur. I mean, there is a storm of dinosaurs at one point. I mean, it's, oh my God. And that's it. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a nice review on iTunes. Subscribe to our newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at MortifiedPod. And tell your friends about our good podcast, which someone recently told me has quote unquote immaculate vibes. If you have content suggestions or just want to say hello, we're MortifiedPod at gmail.com. You can find Aaron at AaronSXL on Twitter, where he talks about healthcare and video games, and listen to his other podcast, The Bible Boys, where he and the Green Brothers dissect evangelical media. If you're looking for a good starting point, their recent episode on the book Heaven is for Real is one of my favorites, and you actually heard a little bit of Michael's voice uh, during our anime hair clip in this episode. You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S at Lailzas on Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram for art, essays about media theory, and an overall good time. Our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. Find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. That's K-E-S-H-C-O. Thanks again for sticking with us for 50 episodes. We hope you're having fun. Tell your friends about us, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week when we're both in the same time zone again. 